Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. If you can imagine these Jerusalem streets, okay? Dusty, to morning, kind of like this morning. The sun is coming up, it's just a little overcast, not a lot of sunshine. You can kind of feel the humidity in the air. It's just kind of one of those just drab mornings. And as the people there are opening up their eyes and they're saying their prayers, there was a scream heard from the very outskirts of town, from the house of ill repute. It sounds like a cat fight. Two women screaming at the top of their lungs. One of them is wrong. The other one is sad. Who knows who's who? This fight goes to the village elders, to the people there, the manager of the house. Manager of the house says, don't bother me with this. We've got business to conduct. Settle it. But the women don't stop fighting. These two prostitutes do not stop fighting. Goes to the the village elders. The village elders are like, look, here's the deal. Somebody here is wrong and nobody can figure out who it is. So where do we go? This thing goes all the way to Supreme Court, which is the chambers of King Solomon the wisest man on the planet. These two women walk in to this courtroom, to his chamber. One of them holding a baby, the other one crying and sobbing. And Solomon's standing there and he's evaluating the situation. He's looking at the two women who were there and he's staring. And and you know, if I'm there and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Solomon and I'm trying to make sense of what he's doing, In my mind, based on the science we have now, I'm thinking to myself, maybe he's checking, like, what's going on inside their eyes. Are the eyes of the baby and the mom the same? Maybe it's detached earlobes or attached earlobes. What is Solomon looking at to try to identify who this baby belongs to? What is the story, he says? And one woman says, she stole my baby in the night. She says, no, I did not, the other one. Did not steal her baby. There's one baby. There's one baby who's alive. There's one baby who is dead. Whose baby is who? And one woman says, the alive one is mine. Solomon said, you know, listen, here's the deal. That's the other lady says, no, the other one, that baby belongs to me. Solomon says, can I see the baby? Can I hold the baby? The mother brings the baby up, hands him to Solomon. Solomon cradles the little guy. Hey there, little guy. How's it going? He sits and he stares at the mom. Looks at the other mom. Whose baby is this? Both of them. Mine. He jokingly says, if only you could split a baby in half, both of you could go home happy. Yeah, but but you can't. You can't, Solomon. I know. But I'm just saying, grabbing the baby by the ankles, holds the baby up. From the scabbard of the soldier next to him, he pulls the sword. He holds it up and says, but what if we did? What if we did parse the baby and give everybody an equal share? Who's in? And immediately, one mother screams at the top of her lungs, I lied, the baby's not mine. It's not mine. The baby belongs to her. 
Baby is hers. Solomon grins. Come forward. She says, I was lying. The baby's not mine. I was lying. I was lying. Solomon says, you weren't lying. The baby belongs to you. That's what mothers do. As for you, hands the baby over. Solomon's wisdom was so brilliant. There's another story about this, um, and I've shared this before, about this rare flower. It has a certain smell. It has a certain look. It's very specific. And there were men and women and people all over the place who always tried to test him. And so what they did is they brought in these two flowers, one in each vase. One was fake. They had spent all this time painting it to make it look identical to the other one. They put one in each vase. They brought it in. They put it in front of Solomon. How wise are you? Can you tell the fake one from the real one? Solomon just sat. He could not see a difference. He could not visually tell a difference between these two flowers. But Solomon didn't know something that other people might not have realized. That if you take such a flower and you set it in a vase for any amount of time, these flowers will attract honeybees. So he waited. Solomon, do you have an answer? Just wait. Solomon, do you have an answer yet? Just wait. Patience. And then right through the window, one of the guys who helped paint the flower, comes over, lands on the first one, immediately hops up, goes to the second one. And you can begin to see that it is completely interacting. Solomon speaks no words whatsoever. I mean, I guess you have your answer. So brilliant. So imagine a guy like this with answers like those. People coming from all over the place. How smart is he? Let's really go see. His voice is always hoarse from lecturing from every topic from plants to horse husbandry. He knows everything. He studies. He just is just ravenous for knowledge, learns all of this stuff. At the end of the day, after hearing people holler and scream and clamor and him solve unsolvable mysteries, I wonder if there was a moment to where Solomon got off by himself and sat down and thought to himself, I want to not hear anything. Do you remember the movie Beautiful Mind? Russell Crowe? Okay, there's this brilliant line to where he stands in front of this great, big, huge, coded message. And he begins to look at this, and through all of these algorithms that are in front of him, he deciphers exactly what is going on and begins to understand it. And then the military commander beside him says, this is what's going on. This is what we think, we, this is, what we think is happening. This and this and this. And he says, how do you know? And he goes, do you ever just know something? And Russell Crowe turns and looks at him, and he says, Constantly. Do you ever just know something constantly?
And I wonder if for Solomon, there's not these moments of, I wish I could shut my brain off. I wish there wasn't things I was knowing constantly. Because imagine what a lonely world that becomes. Every knock at the door, every time the phone rings, it has got zero to do with the person of you and has everything to do with what you can give. Give it. Give it. Not hard to get there in your life either, is it? Moms, how about you? Oh! Do these children love me? Or do they just need me? I don't know. It's a good thing I love them. Otherwise, give the baby to Solomon. (laughs) Let's just be done with it. Easy to get there. Men, it's easy to get there, isn't it? The boss wants this. The boss wants that. Wife wants this. The wife wants that. Got to do this thing. My family's calling about this, and I got to do that because it's what you do for family. You know the line. I was thinking about it the other day. My my oldest came in from school. She'd left at about 7.15 that morning. And by the time she had got done doing everything in her day, she was back in the house at like 7.30, 8 o'clock that night. And I thought to myself, is that a little excessive? That's a lot of going for a 14-year-old. Let's be honest. There's days I don't leave my house for days on end. I mean, I get my work done, but I don't leave. She was gone all day. I thought... It's a little much. Is it a little much? I imagine she feels that way sometimes too. It's easy to get in that spot. Do these people really love me or do they just want me or need me or require something of me? Is there just someone around who will just love me as I am? And I wonder if Solomon ever had those moments. I don't remember the exact number, what what number goes with which, but... Scripture tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Or 300 wives and 700 concubines. I can't really remember how, which way it goes. But I don't think it really matters. I mean, there are times that I kind of feel the pressure of, it's kind of tough sometimes to keep one woman happy. <laughs> not, not, not overwhelmingly tough, but... It could prove challenging from time to time. But 1,000? We would like to whatever. Do whatever. The Lord has given me lots of money. Go. I'm... A thousand? Yet I wonder if he still felt alone. I imagine he did. I imagine he did. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 
Solomon rails against something he sees as unjust. Chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were content with his wealth. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. Listen to this. A miserable business. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Do you think Solomon has ever been there? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Have you been to that place? Who's going to pick me up? Mm, that's easy, isn't it? That's so easy. But see, here's this thing that I've learned. The minute I begin to focus on my needs in my relationship and focus on me and how unjust I'm being treated, you know what's wrong with the world? Everything. Everything's wrong with the world. You know why? Because I am supposed to be treated like a prince. I don't, know, I don't think you got the memo. I'm supposed to be treated like royalty based on what's going on inside this vacuum on my shoulders. I'm supposed to be treated good all the time. I deserve better than this. So treat me with respect. Wow. Really? The minute the focus turns on us, it becomes this enormous black hole sucking the life out of everything and everybody around you. Your responsibility is not to focus on you. What about me? What about me? What about my needs? Okay, time out. The requirement, listen close to what Solomon says, is this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Their work. Did you get it? Their work. Are you waiting on him to carry you the rest of the way? Are you waiting on her to make sure that she raises the kids good and you don't have to? Return for their work. We all contribute. We all put together. Your focus is to focus on how you, how you fill the needs for others. And you count in faith that God will take care of yours. If that is not your approach to the relationships that are around you, my friends, my friends, don't be my friend, please. Here's why. Because I will let you down in amazing ways. Amazing ways. Here's what happens. If you have a selfish moment and I have a selfish moment at the same time, someone's going to lose. And by someone, I mean we both lose. It doesn't work. But if my constant thing is to say, my responsibility is to love these people inside this circle that are in my life. And I need to love them with my everything. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to love them with my everything. Then what's going to happen is God is going to fill me in. Do you know the principle of tithing? Here's the principle of tithing. We talk about this every once in a while. It works like this. If you take what God has given you financially, just financially alone in this picture, if you take what God has given you and you take 10% of what he has given you, 10% of what he has given you, and you find somewhere to put it, you are generous with it in some manner, something that is uh, 
propels some sort of ministry, some sort of good work, some sort, feels some need for someone else, whatever it is. If you take 10% of what you make, now listen, this is a very basic teaching, okay? This does not go into the depths of it. Very basic. If you take the same principle of 10% of what you have and you put it somewhere else, do you realize, maybe you don't, do you realize that God will take care of you? I can tell you story after story after story after story. And I can call Luke in here and Luke can tell you story after story after story of how this works out to be completely true. If you are familiar with this and agree with this, just toss your hand up. Yeah, you kind of see this thing unfold from time to time, haven't you? It's true. If that principle is true about money, something that is typically a pretty insignificant thing, I'm not saying it's, it doesn't have a place and a purpose, but I'm saying, if we take it on this level, with money, and we move it from there into relationships, friendships, people, family, people that we love, people that we care about, do you think God will give us a return on that as well? Absolutely. Because the principle is straight across. The principle is true. I love my time. I love to keep it to myself. It is for me. I like my clock to tick and say, Jared, this second is for you. This second is for you. The world is revolving around you, Jared. I love it. It's what I want. I don't want a Mickey Mouse watch. I want a Jared watch. It's like, who's it about? You, buddy. You, buddy. It's all about you, buddy. That's what I want. But when I am generous with my time, do you know what God does? God gives me back time. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. God opens up doors that I did not see before. Where are you lacking in your life? What is it that you're lacking? Maybe it's vision. Maybe it's focus. Maybe it's goals. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's what am I going to be when I grow up? Whatever that is. And you're at this place where you're just stuck and your marriage is broke. Whatever it is, relationships, mental, mental stuff going on, depression, anxiety. Ask yourself this question. Am I helping anybody else that is struggling in the same way that I'm struggling? Am I helping anybody else who's struggling in the same ways that I'm struggling? Here's an example. If I say to myself, I'm struggling, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. Then I have to ask the question, why is there such a big void here that God is not filling? I wonder if it has anything to do with, I probably need to focus on somebody else's dreams and goals and passions for just a minute. Because you've got to admit, it can get pretty selfish inside your head, at least in mine. I can get pretty self-focused and self-interested. But when I come away from that and I step into a place of saying, what do you want to do? How can I help move you forward? What is good for you? What is good for you? You know what immediately happens? This cool thing to where it's like, did I just figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life? Did by doing this, did I just figure out what it is I'm supposed to be doing? By looking at my children and saying, what do you want to be? By beginning to like nurture that little area of their life of what do you want to be when you grow up? You could be this, you could be this, you could be this. I'm talking to my little one the other day and I said, uh, She's always building stuff. She gets a shoebox and she builds stuff. And it's like she builds these crazy looking things. Crazy. I mean, so detailed. Now, granted, we got to pick up hot glue strings from across the entire living room the rest of our life. But she just builds. I said to her the other day, do you know there's a job that like you can actually do that thing that you're doing right there? She goes, do what? That's actually a thing. 
Like, it's actually a job. It's called being an architect. Like, you can actually do that. And they, they draw it up. They do it on a computer. Sometimes they do it on paper. Then sometimes they go and they fabricate this entire thing that they built, and they bring it into meetings, and they show people. People build these to scale exactly what you're doing right here. That's a real job. It's actually a pretty good job. Huh. The next couple of days, you know what I heard? Over and over, just in passing. Architect. Architect. What are you talking about? Go downstairs, her and her friend. What'd you say? I said, architect. Architect? No, architect. Architect? No, architect. Oh. I hear her drawing things. I hear her downstairs doing these different things, putting things together. Maybe that's what part of this is. I invest there, and then when I step off to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? It's crystal clear. Why? Because the principle is the same. If the focus of our marriage is always, how can she serve me? Uh, you can set up an appointment directly after church if you want. Um, I don't know that I'll have time. <laughs> We're working through some stuff ourselves. <laughs> but I'm serious. Like, if that is your ultimate thought, is how can she serve me? Do me a favor, gentlemen. Like, never say it, okay? Like, you have the thought, that's a bad deal. We need to fix it. Don't ever, ever vocalize that. Like, that's, that's rough. Ladies, ain't for you. The second it becomes about you and everything you want and everything you need and all that it requires to make you happy, because making you happy is the ultimate goal lined out in Scripture for husbands and wives. Whatever you do, so long as she's smiling, all is good. It's never in the Bible. Ever. I said that at one point. My major job in life is not to make my wife happy. And there was three or four people around who were like, oh, no, he didn't just say that. <laughs> Like, you could see it immediately. Like, oh, you may be reading the wrong Bible. <laughs> Hold on. Time out. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to make sure she is always happy. Do you know why? Here's why. Because she is a human, and although it is less often than me, sometimes she's wrong. Less, I mean, less often than me. But she is sometimes wrong. And if my ultimate goal is I have to make her happy, uh, that might put us in a place we really don't want to be. You know what would make me happy, Jared? We've got this running joke at my house, and I often tell her that I don't sleep well when she is in the bed beside me. Just because I kind of do that Patrick starfish thing. And then, you know what I mean? Like I just occupy space. You know, and I'm always like, you're kind of in the way. And so I always joke with, like, maybe we should get you a trundle bed. <laughs> never is funny, ever, you know, never. To, to me, it's funny, but not, she doesn't think it's funny. And it's easy. It's easy. Oh, and that's a joke. I mean, that's just light. But the second it becomes only about me, when it becomes my marriage, when it becomes my calendar, when it becomes my intimacy, when it becomes my whatever, we've messed it up. And now Solomon is in that place where what Solomon is saying is two are better than one because there is a good return on their work, meaning this is my partner. This is my helpmate. I am with her. 
We go side by side. We are buddies in this deal. She is my friend. We are working hard to move forward and do a thing. I'm not charging out there every single, every single decision saying, trust me, I know the way, because I, I don't know the way. There's times that I have to step back and say, hey, you might need to use some of your brains on this deal because you know me. I got nothing. There's also times to where she's like, I can't do that. That needs to be you. Well, move out of the way. <laughs> Watch this happen. Watch me. Watch. Record it. Record it. I'm going to be good at this. Sometimes we alternate in place, but we are partners in this thing. I wonder if Solomon ever had that loneliness. I mean, he had company, but I wonder if he ever had a partner. I wonder if he ever had another person. There's three things I need to point out. How in the world do we create friendships like that, relationships like that? How do we do this? Number one, we're going to, we're, number, the first thing that we talked about was this, the divine currency. Divine currency. That idea of, you know what? You invest, God invests in you. You invest, you invest in the people around you. You love those around you. God takes care of you. You take care of these people, God takes care of you. It just works. If you don't believe me, just try it. Turn the selfish switch off for just a minute and say, okay, what can I do for somebody else other than what can I, and think about what can I do for somebody else versus what can I get out of this deal? Just turn the switch off and ask the question, step forward and do a thing. It can be as awkward and as weird as you want it to be. Just do that because that's divine currency. You want to see God's hand move? That's how it happens. You want to see it, you want to see it, um, Knock the stone rough edges off of somebody else's heart. Do that, because it'll happen. You want to see your perspective and your mindset, your mindset shift? It'll happen. Because divine currency is just that. You extend that kind of love. Isn't that what Christ did for us? When you could not cover the sins that you committed, he covered them for you? But no, there's this cool game we used to love to play in our house, and it's called this, scoreboard. She gets me, I'm getting her. She gets me, I'm going to get her back. She says something about this and demeans me as a man. Uh-huh, I'm coming after you. And this is the way it went. Well, as you can imagine, our marriage was just wonderful for so long. <laughs> wonderful. Because it was constantly this, 58 to 54. She's going to get it. She is going to get it. And before too long, we realized, like, this is not a good game. This has got to shift. Second thing we have to look at is this. We have to learn how to be encouraging with our words. We have to learn how to be encouraging with our words. That is to be verbal. Some of you are super good at just taking care of stuff, doing those things, you know, because that's just in your nature. It's what you're made of. You just step out and you just do it and you take care of it. Your spouse probably hasn't heard the words, I love you, in like a year and a half or, or 10. But you really do show it. Just don't say it. Here's the thing. This is not to say that you're wrong for the way you're wired. It's to say you're wrong if you don't grow and mature and your scope widen and you learn how to speak somebody else's love language other than just your own. My, my love language is, does, has nothing to do with practicality. I don't know if you could spot that from where you're sitting. It doesn't. Mine is words. Unfortunately, my wife's love language is, you know, um, actions. 
To which I stand around and say things like, you are knocking it out of the park with what you're doing right there. And she's just like, you could pitch in, you know. Well, okay, all right. Because it requires both. It requires me having to learn hers as well. Me thinking outside of my own head. We have to be verbal with what we're doing as well. We have to use the divine currency, but we also have to be verbal. Listen to these verses here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Philemon or Philemon 1, 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed, our, refreshed the hearts of the saints. Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then one more. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Scripture is clear about the act of encouragement and what that does for the people around us and what it does for us. Ecclesiastes 4.12 <clears throat> goes on to say this. Or let's, uh, Ecclesiastes 4.11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm on a trundle bed? It doesn't say that. It actually says, <laughs> also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is military talk. Right here, Solomon's given military talk. Military talk is this. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily or quickly broken. There's this idea that, you know what? You are not designed to be on your own. You know what I love about the Lone Ranger? You know what I love about it? Is that he is so not lone. I love it. It's like this was the right idea, but it really doesn't work. I mean, someone's got to take care of him. Someone's got to look after him. Well, he's the Lone Ranger. Yeah, except he's not really alone. And for us, we weren't designed to be either. We weren't designed to be alone. We weren't designed to operate in this world on your own as an island inside, the, inside of your own crazy thoughts. Are you kidding me? No, not at all. You're designed to be in community, community with other people. You're designed for that. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Or as Jesus would say, where two or three gather in my name, there I am also. The third thing that we have to focus on is this. We have to learn how to forgive. Divine currency, be encouraging with your words, and you have to learn how to forgive. You know what is unbelievable to me? And, and this is a crazy thought. I just want you to just, just think through this. If you are a Christian, meaning you are a baptized believer, you've given your life to Christ, you live daily for him, you read the scripture, understand the scripture, you, you strive to fulfill the scripture with your life, do you realize that if two people a man and a woman who are both Christians yet have not met each other all of a sudden decided to be married. Do you know that they could live a happy marriage? Based on scriptural stuff, you could live a happy marriage. 
Would it be tough? Yeah, probably. Compatibility would be nice. But you know what's crazy? Is that I don't know if you've ever been in this spot, but I mean, I've been in this spot. You've probably looked at somebody you've loved and thought to yourself, I don't love them anymore. But then you choose to love them more. In spite of their action, you choose to love them more. And what did your heart do? Followed your action. Your heart will always follow your action. If you set forward to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love them. I don't care if it kills me. I'm going to love them. Your heart will eventually follow. It will eventually follow. That sort of hopelessness that we talk about sometimes. Oh, it's just hopelessness. It's not real. Quitting is real. Drawing the line and saying, nobody changes, I quit. That's real. Nineteen sixty-eight. There's this group of musicians, and they gather in a recording studio. They're recording one of these songs that is just gonna be a hit. Everybody kind of knew it, and everybody in the band is crazy about this song, except for one guy. One guy doesn't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the song. Song's not that cool. I don't like it. But it's like this song is gonna be big. Just buy in. This song's gonna be good. Nah, I don't want to buy in. I don't like this song. It's not gonna happen. This animosity began to grow between the band members, and the band eventually broke up. Here's the lyrics from the song that they recorded that day. And when the brokenhearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. It's easy to write, it's harder to live. And when the brokenhearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. And the band says, yeah, this song is good for you, but as for us, I'm not letting it be. Of course, the song is let it be, and the band is obviously the Beatles. In the book, Beatles, 10 Years That Shook the World, there's this phrase, and it says, eventually, it was just the animosity that existed between all of us that caused the breaking of the band. You can write it on paper, and you can say it, and you can put it on your Facebook page or your Twitter feed. And you can say, it's all about forgiveness. Can't we be more tolerant? Can't we just love one another? It's super easy to write. Let it be. But boy, 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 it is different when it is in your lap, in your face. It's hard. We have to learn how to forgive. You see, for some of us, it's forgiving somebody who we have not seen in decades. Letting loose of a thing that happened to us and saying, you know what? I need to just let go of it and I need to move on. For some of you, it's this deal of you wake up in the morning and you turn to your right and you go, I need to forgive them. And it's just constant. We do not grow. We do not move forward. We do not mature unless we forgive. You and God, check this out. You and God cannot be okay if you haven't forgiven them. You can't be okay. If both of my children came in and one of them said to me, Daddy, I love you so much. And I love Mommy so much. And I just want you to know I thank you for this wonderful house and all of the wonderful blessings that we have. 
But I just ask you one thing. Would you please kick my sister out? She is ugly and loud and annoying and I don't like her. Please kick her out. Daddy, I love you. Do you know what I'm going to do? I won't tell you what I would do. But it would be ugly. Because in my mind, you cannot take something like that and cut it down the middle and choose what pieces you want and what pieces you don't want. Oh, is that, is that how you feel, baby? Is that how you feel? You think little sisters should be out in the snow? Is that how you feel? Yeah, it is. Guess what? Daddy's got a tent in the garage, and now you're grounded from the house for a week. You'll be peeing outside. <laughs> Let's see how much you love your sister when this deal's over with. I love her more already. Oh, you'll love her more in a week. There's no way. Yet, when it comes to us, my relationship with God looks like this. God, I love you so much. I hate him, but I love you so much. Doesn't work. We're going to close in prayer. And in this moment, here's what I want for you. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where is a place that you need to offer forgiveness? Where is a place that you need to offer forgiveness? And I understand, I'm, this is not a light thing to do. Where do you need to say, I forgive? And I'm not saying it always requires you have to go talk to this person. Maybe it's better that you don't. But you must forgive them so you can move forward. Yeah, but Jared, I said I would never forgive him. I understand. But see, that only works until it starts to damage you. And it does. That's where unforgiveness always ends. It's a damage to you. So in this moment, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Who do you need to forgive? What's on your heart? What's that thing that's there that you need to forgive or that you need to go offer forgiveness for? What is that? Let's pray. God, we love you, and sometimes we find ourselves hating our brother. Lord, we ask that in this moment that your Spirit will open up our mind's eye, Open up our conscience. Soften those, those big brick walls and, and stone walls that we've put up to where we just kind of keep people at a distance due to one certain thing or a series of, of events or actions or, or things that were perpetrated against us or ways that we were cheated. Lord, we ask right now that you reveal what it is that we need to do. Who do we need to forgive? Lord, maybe we're on the other side of it to where we know we've done something wrong to somebody else and we need to go and we need to make right with them in an apology. But we ask that you will open up our hearts so that we can see that, we can have the bravery to carry that out. Thank you for everything you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being here.